0: This is Steve Downs, the voice of Master Chief, Sierra 117, with a shout-out to the Xbox Expansion Pass. Keep your heads up during this time of isolation. Stay positive. Play some games. Most importantly, finish the fight. Thanks for listening to XEP. Master Chief, out.
1: Welcome one, welcome all to episode thirty-three of the Xbox Expansion Pass, recorded on Sunday, May twenty fourth, twenty twenty. I am your host, Luke Lore, the Insipid Ghost, and in this episode we chat with Paul Bettner, CEO of Playful Studios, whose career has taken him from Age of Empires and Halo Wars through now to New Super Lucky's Tale. Gears of War 3 is shown up on a PlayStation 3, we offer a review of Minecraft Dungeons, and gaming sales are up across the board. Enjoy. Yet another week of gaming is upon us and behind us. Welcome to XEP, discussing all things in the gamerverse as they pertain to the Xbox ecosystem. And hope you all are doing well. We've had a quiet week of news, not a whole lot happening in the gamerverse, and that gives us a great time to reflect on a few key points of note from the past week, but also on what to look forward to in the coming weeks for gaming, as the summer is continuously uh, building up its schedule for announcements to be made and offerings to be had. Uh, for gamers of all types and that is surely exciting. Before we dive too far into it, though, I want to extend my most sincere thanks to Sissy Jones, who joined us on the last episode and offered her insight into the world of voice acting. She talked about her experiences on Firewatch, working with Darksiders, to being in the Arkhamverse, as well as playing additional roles in games like GTA and Halo, and uh, even teased a few other roles that might be coming along the way down the line for the Series X, and that was uh, an absolute pleasure, and Sissy's voice is certainly one that gamers will recognize, and I hope you guys, if you didn't check out that interview... Uh, Go back in episode 32. I think you'll find yourself uh, enjoying it, to be sure. On now to the news. Uh, Gears of War 3 was shown off in a leaked video on the PlayStation 3, and that puzzled a number of people, including the designer Cliff Blazinski, one of the creators of Gears of War, who said that that video obviously had to be fake. In fact, it was proven that the Gears of War 3 on PlayStation 3 was actually an engine test that Epic had been working on at the time, working with their Unreal Engine. Of course, Unreal has been in the news of late because of the the Nanite and the Lumen uh, engine debates for Unreal 5, and uh, people testing whether or not it could work on, on PlayStation 5, would it work on Xbox Series X, and of course, like all things when it comes to engines, you want it to work on as many devices as possible. So, in hindsight and retrospect, it makes perfect sense that Epic would be toying around and somewhere along in, in their uh, in, in their offices to see whether or not their tech would work on multiple systems. Of course, we remember that the Xbox 360 and the PlayStation 3's architecture was very fundamentally different from one another. The cell processors and what the Xbox 360 was using uh, were, were very, very different. And so, manipulating and working with an engine makes perfect sense. The idea that this would retail at any point is is not realistic, and I think that's where a lot of people scoffed and, and turned their heads. Uh, but it was interesting, nonetheless, in a thought experiment to look back and think the, the what-ifs, and, you know, is this real, is it not real? And uh, I really like the idea that, that they were playing around with it, and I'm curious what other games throughout our our gaming history in the past few decades have been manipulated to work on systems that they perhaps were never gonna gonna see the light of day or were not destined to be launched into. Uh, but it was a neat thing to see. And it was also I mean it, it was amusing in a lighthearted sense to see Cliff Plazinski who is so focused on game creation, had no idea that that was going on, and at, at first glance, you might be like, oh, no idea what was going on? No, it, it makes perfect sense. I mean, when you have a big studio and, and a lot of people working and your your head is down crunching on one thing, you might not uh, see what everyone else is doing in another area, but uh, Cliff continued to offer more insight in this past week via his Twitter feed, uh, talking about his various time in the gaming verse and, and you know, how things worked out post-Gears of War, leaving the gaming industry, and uh, he mentioned Lawbreakers, which was his ill-fated hero show that was set to be PS4 exclusive and and really was hoping would save, um, I think it was Boss Key Productions and and what it would have meant for the studio to to be in that space once again. It was supposed to be kind of his big return to gaming and it it didn't work out that way and I know that's uh, frustrating for him and the people involved because from what I hear, Lawbreakers was a rather... A rather good game, it well developed, a lot of good ideas, it just it couldn't compete with the likes of Overwatch and a few other uh, elements in the gaming verse at the time. But one of the more interesting notes that came out in that Twitter thread that he was offering was that he feels Lawbreakers absolutely should have been on Xbox. He regretted the decision to be PS4 exclusive. Now this brought a few thoughts into my mind. On the one hand, It makes sense if you have to go exclusive and develop a game to go with the bigger install base because PlayStation 4 has certainly sold more than Xbox One uh, in in a big way. On the other hand, to his point and the one that he was making was that he was quite well known by the Xbox community and had good relationships with a lot of gamers in that space. And it would have made more sense to to launch into a, a system where... They were certainly in need of exclusives, certainly needed that marketing push. And if people were familiar with that name, why he wouldn't put his game there uh, in hindsight certainly seems to be a bit baffling. Again, those are the what-if scenarios, but it's an interesting thought to think, would the game have done better if it had been an Xbox exclusive or released onto the Xbox platform simultaneously? And the truth is, I kind of think it would have been. I think that, that audience would have been hungrier for something unique to play, something exclusive to them, and also because of that famili- familiarity that we mentioned, that's a tough word to say, uh, that we mentioned with Cliff Blazinski, the maker of Gears of War. It almost writes itself in marketing speak, uh, and I wonder if, if Lawbreakers might not still be around, and and who knows. And I, I wonder, too, if maybe there were soured relationships between his leaving Epic or uh, his working with Xbox at the time, and, of course, the Xbox of old and the Xbox now, and I'm talking about personnel and attitude and philosophy, all of that is is fundamentally different, so you have to wonder if maybe there were jaded mo- emotions somewhere in there, uh, and, and what, you know what might have been. It's it's just a neat concept. I love the idea that um, Cliff could be back into gaming. I think that uh, there is a a story to be told there that we are are certainly. Privy to be hearing at some point in the next few years, you know what's going on, what happened, and it's a, it's something that I want to see see more of. I would love to to sit down with Cliff and ha- or have somebody else sit down and just tell his story, uh, start to finish about his his real talk, what happened uh, here and there, and that'd be kind of a neat thing to go on. Fortnite continues to make headlines uh, launching into all types of media. You know, remember the term transmedia and what that could mean as far as, you know, launching into the music space and then being in the video game space and the movie space and these shared cinematic universes and such. Well, Chris Nolan is offering his hat into that same ring as he debuted his, a trailer for his upcoming movie Tenet in Fortnite's party mode. But then also, it was announced via Jeff Keeley's Twitter feed that he would be holding a screening of the movie via Fortnite this summer. Now, we've seen concerts be playing out in Fortnite. We've seen a lot of Star Wars content, exclusive trailers drop into Fortnite, which is just mind-boggling to me in, in such a crazy way. Not in a bad way. It's just it's wild to think that Fortnite is this juggernaut media explosion of attention. And now Christopher Nolan, arguably one of the best filmmakers of all time, not only showed screenings of trailers, but is now going to show a, a screening of his full film via Fortnite. What a wild idea. What a cool concept. And you have to wonder, you know, what stipulations are going with, what negotiations looked like. How do you explain to Christopher Nolan, the guy who's made Interstellar and Batman and the Prestige and so many other films, you know, how do you say, all right, we want you to launch into Fortnite where people are building and jumping around with, you know, all these types of outfits on? Like, what's that discussion look like? It's cool, though. It is neat to see. I mean, I would imagine with all the attention those concerts got, particularly amid the COVID crisis and shelter in place, uh, how many people are going to be turning their eyes to that? What a cool concept and idea. I wonder if we won't get more of this. I am uh, strongly in the camp that I want to see more movies show up day and date via On Demand. I really love that about the Sonic movie, which was a blast, by the way. Uh, I love that that showed up on my TV and I could just buy it outright and watch it you know, at home. And if Shelter in Place doesn't push that going through, maybe Fortnite has a, a hand in that. There's something to be to be said for all that, but it was kind of a neat thing to, to stumble across in the news feeds to see that, you know, that an iconic director and, and filmmaker like Chris Nolan would be launching into Fortnite. Huh, you know, concerts aren't the only thing. Maybe there's a, a platform to be had there. And I also wonder... When when Fortnite makes the jump into VR, when is that going to happen? And will Xbox be alongside there? You know, we know Xbox isn't, or we believe Xbox is not making dedicated hardware, but could they open the Series X platform up to work with something like Oculus? Something like whatever other htc vive right uh could they be could they be working with other vr manufacturers to, to bring the their, their platforms into series x and then what would those concerts in Fortnite look like what would the live events look like screenings and films what a neat idea a terrifying idea a cool idea i there's something to be said for that and, and it just raises questions and you know we got nothing but time on our hands right now i'm i'm raising questions to be sure to no one's surprise, video game sales are up and up and up. I mean, we've seen all types of reports since Shelter-in-Place took hold, and we've seen console manufacturers selling more and more platforms uh, each month, each week, NPD coming out with new numbers, and the latest figures show hardware sales have more than doubled year over year from last year, up 163% to $420 million from this time last year. Now, Sony and Microsoft fared well, but really it was the switch that kind of took the hold of this past uh, month or so when it comes to sales. I mean, Sony Microsoft up, Xbox included, up. Um, by a huge number but the switch taking the cake of course animal crossing piloting and leading a lot of the sales there but it's really neat to see we've reported in the past few weeks game pass numbers up xbox live subscriptions up uh, great numbers all around but people are, are taking advantage of the gaming space and diving in uh, and for it to be up year over year in a not a twilight year perhaps for next gen uh, on on the horizon and, and this gen winding down because I think there's a bit more of a bridge than in years past due to cross-gen and due to the idea that you have smart delivery. But in, in a waning year for Microsoft that their hardware is up and trending well is is exciting and it's good to see more people getting into that ecosystem. And I would imagine... That's all good news, given that they're built entirely around ecosystem. Game Pass being kind of the mainstay, but also Xbox Live, X Cloud, of course. Whenever that arrives, will continue to turn heads. But I was really encouraged to see that all of these uh, numbers are up, and that the you know games are selling well. I was wondering how that would play out with due to economies, and uh, it's encouraging. And I would hope that whatever you're playing, whatever system you're playing on, you're enjoying yourself and taking advantage of a lot of the summer sales that are coming up. I know I've been diving into playing a ps4 exclusives that i haven't because i've been so focused on the microsoft ecosystem and enjoying those grabbing a lot of stuff on sale here and there it's it's good news all around and and i I gotta say that's the best part about gaming is that you can find a way to entertain yourself uh, entertain your families connect with people connect with friends and i know i've certainly done that across multiple platforms and had an absolute blast
0: Hello, Two Forks Tower. This is Sissy Jones, voice of Delilah from Firewatch, and you are listening to the Xbox
1: Expansion Pass. Uh, Also, um, you didn't really name the turtle Shelly, did you? One game that has occupied my attention in this past week, and likely for many weeks to come, is Minecraft Dungeons. A review code was provided by Microsoft PR, so please know this while I offer you this review for your consideration. Minecraft Dungeons is a JOY to play. It offers a fun, approachable way to enter into the action RPG space that doesn't feel immediately bogged down by stat tracking or item management that often accompanies other Diablo-like games. Rather than subscribing to the traditional class-based characters, the unique abilities often offered by that selection are attained via outfits that you wear. These can be acquired in any number of ways, from defeating bosses to opening chests, and in my early hours with the game, I often wore armor that was fashioned like a knight, I wore a woodsman's cloak, wolf trappings, and currently my character is adorned with a wizard's outfit befitting of something out of Harry Potter. Inherently, each of these outfits provides its own stat boosts and ability usages. The standard ice, fire, and other elemental effects can be added with these outfits along with enchantments which offer their own unique buffs, and these can be combined in any number of ways to offer really unique effects that I think a lot of people who enjoy min-maxing will have a blast with. I much preferred this method of character adjustment because I didn't feel pigeonholed by a choice in character that I'd made several hours earlier. The flexibility that it provided helped the game feel fresh throughout my time traversing through its campaign. Swords that thunder with lightning, crossbows with scattershot ricochets and a chance to cause poison cloud damage. Brilliant, present, and accounted for. And it's these choices that will leave more intense players seeking to min-max their builds with relics throughout their time in the harder levels, but will allow casual players to approach with a that-looks-cool attitude in mind. The combat presents itself simply in hack and slash form which will allow nearly any player to arrive at the game feeling confident in the first few levels. As the abilities and items are introduced throughout Minecraft dungeons, it reveals itself to be a thoughtful and intricate dungeon crawler with replayability in mind. Right now I'm working my way through the game on solo normal, but as the difficulty is raised and multiplayer comes online, there will be inherent changes to strategy and approach. It's a welcome and wonderful balance that will surely appeal to the masses. Graphically speaking, the game maintains the Minecraft blocky approach to the aesthetics, but somehow manages to be beautiful despite it. The colors pop wonderfully, and in each biome it's especially noticeable how much love went into crafting each of these stages. Clearly they found the right team to capture Minecraft's intricate spirit of building worlds with their iconic blocks and sheep and all other types of animals throughout but they built these levels in a way that feels perfectly suited to a dungeon action RPG combat system the same can be said for the audio and narration minecraft's spirit remains throughout through and through while cutscenes play out depicting an evil villain who wants to bring chaos to the land enemies will have their trademark sounds from minecraft proper and with tiny variations offered throughout the time to adjust to the presentation These enemies will range again from those pigs and strange little oddities of cows to the standard creepers and then bafflingly arch elemental monsters. It's glorious, it's fun, it's meant to be played over and over. And that's the gameplay loop for something like Minecraft Dungeons. You're meant to replay it and find what deep secrets might be lurking throughout Minecraft Dungeons. Whether you're a new craft or a newcomer rather to Minecraft or action RPGs, you're going to find Minecraft Dungeons a joy to play. More serious and veteran players of the genre will absolutely be pleased at the depth, and they'll be treated to a plethora of gameplay options with that depth as they go beyond the initial simple presentation. Xbox Game Pass players are treated to this game day and date, but for any gamer on PlayStation 4, PC, Switch, Minecraft Dungeons is going to set you back $19.99, and it is worth every penny. I hope you enjoyed that review of Minecraft Dungeons. The game is an absolute blast to play, and I hope you guys are going to be willing to check it out with me. You are always welcome to add me on Xbox Live. Insipid Ghost is my gamer tag, just like my Twitter handle is at InsipidGhost, and you can always reach out to me, InsipidGhost at gmail.com, if you have questions for the show, and several of you wrote in this week, and I chose a couple of them uh, to chat with you prior to our conversation with Paul Bettner. Uh, the first question comes from Todd Oxtra, and Todd, always a great supporter of the show, and I greatly appreciate it. Todd says... Other than Halo and Forza, do you expect any other first-party games at the Series X launch? I, for one, would rather see a steady, uh, see a year of steady releases without huge gaps in the first year. Todd, that is a great question, and frankly, I think you'll see one of those two exclusive at launch from Microsoft first party, but then they stagger every month or so uh, with something to offer. I think Halo Infinite needs to be the big showcase, hold off on the racing game, give it a month or two if they've got one, if they have it. I think we're all assuming Forza because we all think Forza, and it has been a while since we've seen a Forza game. Uh, My hope and expectation would be that they have Halo Infinite as their, their first party exclusive game right out the gate. They wait a month or so to give somebody excitement for the next game, and they they actually get people uh, in on that next thing. Having too many games at launch can be a bit awkward and difficult for for consumers to dive into, and I think it would be a good marketing strategy for them to hold off and stagger them, just like you said, uh, with steady releases throughout the year so they occupy news cycles. All right, the next big exclusive from Xbox Game Studios is here, the next exclusive is here. The next game is here. I think that's a smart methodology, particularly given that all of their first-party stuff is going to enter into Game Pass, and they're going to be bringing people into that ecosystem over time. I have to wonder how much uh, smart delivery factors into this and what that means going forward. But uh, personally, I hope it's it's Halo Infinite at launch, Forza a month later, and then a steady stream uh, every two to three months from there. Hypecaster writes in, always a, a wonderful addition to the show, and I appreciate Antonio so much because he does the promos that we have over on Twitter, and I really appreciate him putting those together. Uh, Antonio asks, every time Xbox exclusives hit, a sea of complaints crash down, including they only release 7s and 8s. In your opinion, is Minecraft Dungeons doing anything special to, alleviate, uh, to elevate it to a must-play? Dungeon crawlers r- rely on an addictive loot loop. Uh, does it keep you coming back? That's a great question, Antonio. Um, I think for Minecraft Dungeons, it's going to be a bit of a, uh, an apples and oranges scenario here because it's available on, on all platforms. You can get it on PC, Switch, PlayStation 4. Uh, there is a depth to the game that is not initially uh, seen right away. It looks to be a very simple dungeon crawler, and you're going to be playing it Uh, In a very simple way, you're going to go in, you're going to tap A like an action RPG would, and you're going to attack your enemies and move on. But there's a really big depth to it and really cool weapons that show throughout, and the game is only 20 bucks. So this will allow a lot of people to dive in. Of course, it's also day and date on Game Pass. Uh, a lot of people are going to dive in, enjoy their initial time with it, and players are likely going to be addicted by that loop. This is a great game. Make no mistake. This is, a, this is an 8 or above uh, from what I'm, I'm experiencing thus far, provided the online works as we expect it to. I think a lot of people are really going to like this one, and it's going to catch on like fire because of its approachable price point and uh, Minecraft aesthetic to it. But there is a depth to it, and I think that loot loop will keep players coming back. Uh, as for whether or not it's the the Destiny crowd, the, the Division crowd, the people that really love those looter shooter type people that want to min-max stuff, I don't know. I mean, it, this is a Diablo-like game, and I think a lot of people really enjoy the aesthetic of Diablo alongside a lot of their min-maxing builds and loot drops. Uh, so I, I am curious of that myself. But I think if you have an affinity for Minecraft and in, and any affinity for leveling up, you are going to be in on this game for a good while. And as far as the, the, the legs that this game has, that will depend largely on the DLC it offers. In, in going through my time with the game thus far, I've gone through so many different outfits. I've been a woodsman. I've been a wolf. I've been a wizard and, and a knight. But I, I'll tell you what. Knowing full well that in Minecraft they have characters in Minecraft proper rather, they have characters like Master Chief and Mario and Kratos. I want those outfits on my character. I wanna know what a Kratos buff offers me. Kinda of like in Shovel Knight when you when you found the Battletoads or or kratos or any of the the special characters in shovel knight you got those weapons i want that to happen in minecraft dungeons i want to put on that armor i want to put on those outfits and and see those buffs happen and i wonder if maybe like a switch player could get the mario stuff but an xbox player wears you know master chief or whatever and, and they interact interact um my understanding of crossplay is that you have to be friends in order to play with 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 people crossplay, but I, I believe some of that's up in the air and is likely to change i would imagine as demand for the game adjusts. But uh, as far as that addictive loot, man, I think it will keep people coming back for a good while, Uh, and particularly in a time where people need stuff to play. This is hitting at the right time, and uh, I, I dig it, man. I really dig it. Our last question of this week comes from Edward Varnell at RetroCode, and he says, Do you think Nintendo games are harder to get through than Microsoft titles due to Nintendo presenting some unexpected gameplay in various titles, while Microsoft might rely more on a loop and less gameplay surprises? That's an interesting thought, Edward. That's a that's a deep thought, really. Uh, and, and to your point, Microsoft is all about that loop. They have a Halo philosophy that was introduced long ago with Bungie's Halos, in kind of a 30-second gameplay loop. Uh, you enter in, you battle out, you enjoy that loop, and then you do it again, and then you do it again. And they, ha- they would actually set a timer in development for how long a player would enter to exit a certain gameplay loop. And you can see that same idea, that same uh, emotional and mental philosophy in gameplay design for a lot of Microsoft titles. Not all, because that's just not realistic with so many people involved. But in games like Halo, in games like Sea of Thieves in Forza, you see those same loops kind of progressing there, and then to your point, I think Nintendo works really hard to diversify uh, each one of their games. I mean, Mario is their, their namesake character that they've built their franchises upon, and there's always an idea mechanic introduced into each Mario game, and sometimes it's a big hit, and sometimes it falls flat on its face, and Uh, You can take that how how you will. I know they do that with other characters, too. They test a lot of mechanics in Kirby games that will make their way into Nintendo um, kind of pillar titles, and that's a a good thing. Oh, man, I don't think it makes either harder or easier to get through. I think it speaks simply to preference. Uh, I know when I boot up my Switch and I play New Super Mario Bros. U, which is one of my favorite 2D platformers, I, I really enjoy a lot of that loop. Uh, and a lot of the gameplay there, but also the introduction of all those new mechanics is a lot to keep up with, and it's kind of exhausting. Sometimes I like the simpler levels that happen. Uh, You know, think back to Super Mario Bros. 3, those games or those levels were all really small, really small. You could finish each level in 30 seconds to a minute, whereas, you know, some of the latter games, it's changed a bit, and there's a, a design philosophy change in that i find mario 3 more approachable than some of the more modern marios so uh, a great question and a good thought process but um i don't know that it makes any game harder or easier i think it just depends on your preference and and challenge ideas because also with a lot of nintendo games there's not a lot of difficulty settings you know there's typically an approachable easy mode and standard and then the levels themselves are actually your harder easy modes. And so you go through a lot of the, the more recent Mario games and there are certain levels that are separate from the main campaign that are much harder uh, that you can identify with. Whereas a lot of, you know, Microsoft games and other games in general, you know, you got your your easy, normal, hard and insane various difficulties. That's a great thought provoking question, Edward. I'm curious, anybody else, feel free to tweet or DM me your responses, email them if you like. Um, let me know what you think about this idea. That's a great question, Edward. I dig it. I dig it. Well, guys, that's going to be it for me. I wanted to have a shorter show of just me this week because I have an incredible interview with Paul Bettner, the CEO of Playful Studios, uh, that I really am excited for you guys to hear. One of the neat things about Paul is that while he's the CEO of Playful now – His career started way back when he was 19 years old, and he dove in working with Ensemble Studios at Age of Empires, meaning that he was hands-on with a Halo MMO that never saw the light of day, and he talks a bit about that. He worked on Halo Wars. He designed and created Words with Friends, which is just stunning to me in every way, shape, and form, and he has a major hand in crafting the new and adorable mascot platformer Super Lucky's Tale, which started on Oculus as a VR title, and then made its way to Xbox One X and launched alongside the 1x and I'll talk about some of the struggles of doing that uh, at the time and then going over to switch and now coming back to consoles in the coming months Really exciting stuff from Paul, and I think you'll really enjoy the interview. Uh, again, I encourage you to go back um, uh, to episodes prior with hearing from Mike Bithel and Sissy Jones and Andrew Renee, uh, and then coming up in the next few weeks, I can tease I can tease two of them. Uh, we'll be talking with Moon Studios, Jeremy uh, Glitten from Moon Studios, who is the art and story designer, um, to talk about how they created crafted rather Ori and the Will of the Wisps. Very excited to do that, uh, and then I can tell you that we have a Series X developer that is going to be coming on the show and talking about their game. I can't release the name of it just yet, but it's exciting. I hope you enjoy it. Now, I will tell you one last thing, guys. The interviews are not the sole focus of the show. Those happen as they happen, uh, and it happens to be because a lot of people are working from home. I'm able to get a lot of them back-to-back right now, and that's wonderful, but uh, it's it's not always the case, and that's pretty exciting to me that, that we've had a third to, to half of the shows are now featuring interviews, and that's great, but it won't always be that way. So, so take that uh, as you go, and feel free if you're willing, share the show, rate it on iTunes if you're, if you're able to do so, uh, and let people know if you enjoy it. Let me know if you enjoy it. That makes my day, and a lot of you reaching out, letting me know you heard from Sissy last week. It's just cool. It's great. Um, it is a wonderful thing for me to, to get to hang out with you guys each week. For now, enjoy Paul Bettner's interview. Enjoy the show. Uh, I hope you have a great rest of your week. Play some games, and I will chat with you uh, next time, next episode. Take care, guys. We want to welcome now the CEO of Playful Studios, an industry veteran whose legacy dates back to Age of Empires, Paul Bettner. Thank you for joining me on the Xbox Expansion Pass, man.
0: Thanks for having me, Luke. It's a pleasure.
1: Well, we've got you here to chat about uh, your career, Super Lucky's Tale, new Super Lucky's Tale, and uh, even a few nuggets from your past that I am am ecstatic to to hear about. Can you tell (laughs) me uh, a bit about where you got into this industry?
0: Oh, my gosh. Yes, I... I, uh... I got my start really early making video games when I was,
1: uh, I guess,
0: a teenager. <laughs> you know, I played a lot of video games growing up, um, but I was even more drawn to kind of making them myself or so trying to figure out how to make them. And this is, of course, like pre-internet. Uh, so I was teaching myself from magazines and any articles I could find in books. Um, I, I kind of did my first work uh, in the games industry, technically, when I ran a bulletin board system. This is kind of, again, pre-internet. We had one of the largest uh, BBSs in South Florida, which was called the Playing Fields. Um, and we kind of ran, we hosted multiplayer Doom uh, and Quake and Warcraft and a bunch of these games. And I wrote this software that let people play these games that were really only designed for like LAN parties. But we we kind of made it work over modems. Um, and that software uh, got kind of a lot of traction across the country, actually. A lot of other BBSs picked it up. And so here I am, and I'm kind of running this on the side, and I'm working during the day as a programmer uh, for Continental Airlines, actually, and suddenly, and this is the weirdest thing, but, like, suddenly at, like, age 18 or 19 or whatever I was, uh, I was going to school and doing this kind of and working also, and I realized, like, wait a minute, I'm a programmer, I've been playing games my whole life, games require programming, why the heck am I not, like, programming for games like it just said literally never occurred to me that it could be a job until i was like until that moment so then suddenly i go on this quest to start calling a bunch of companies and like interviewing around i actually interviewed with the company that um that made deer hunter and got a job offer for there which thankfully i didn't take that one um and i actually interviewed with a company called rebel boat rocker out here in dallas which is now known as gearbox or at least it's all the same guy so i, I got to meet randy pritchford and that crew like back when they were just kids like me. Uh, and and then I interviewed with this company called Ensemble Studios, um, who were just finishing uh, their first game called Age of Empires. Um, and I think they thought it was a little crazy to be interviewing this 19-year-old kid. But luckily, some of the folks within their company had actually played with the software that I had written for BBSs, so they were familiar with that uh, and found it, I guess, you know, kind of impressive that an 18-year-old had done that. Um, and... And they ended up making me an offer. So I moved out to Dallas. I was in Florida at the time, moved out to Dallas, took my first real job in the industry um, and was there an ensemble for many, many years, for like almost 12 years, kind of where I grew
1: up in my career. And I would imagine uh, Age of Empires, no small feat and an ensemble, is certainly a studio that many Xbox fans are familiar with for, from yes. back then and the more resurgence now. Uh, just what was it like being, exposed in that environment and growing up in a place where Age of Empires, Halo Wars, other, like those, that's got to be some cool stuff there.
0: That, that was, uh, I mean, I, you know, such an incredible Opportunity and blessing to have that be my first experience in the industry. Um, Ensemble was truly one of the great game studios. Um, I think that our our industry has seen. You know, it was just a, a is a phenomenal group of people that started that company. The CEO Tony Goodman is a dear friend of mine. He actually, uh, <laughs> interestingly enough, he he runs a game studio. He he was. He founded Robot, which did Orcs Must Die, and now he runs a studio called People Fun, who make the insanely popular word game um, WordScape's on the phone. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's had this incredible career. Well, anyway, I kind of got to mentor under him there at Ensemble for many years, um, and being part of that journey and building those games um, was, you know, just a, a kind of a life-altering experience for me. That you know, I learned from from these incredible folks there, uh, and we kind of. You know, created this culture of how we developed games that originally came from Tony and from Bruce Shelley uh, and from some of those other folks who were um, kind of board game designers and had this philosophy of, you know, building games that were easy to play but took a lifetime to master. That was the kind of thing that we kept talking about all the time at at, uh, at Ensemble. Mm-hmm. And so we created this culture of of building these games that we play tested endlessly and uh, ourselves before we released them. And we really kind of wouldn't feel like a game was ready until we ourselves just couldn't stop playing it. Uh, mm-hmm. and, um, and that, you know, it, it, it's just amazing to see that still holding true today with those games. I mean, to see Age of Vampires in the top charts of Steam still here, whatever it is, 25 years later, uh, mm-hmm. that's, that's uh, that, nothing makes me happier than to see that because that's really what we were trying to do. We were trying to build games that we hoped people would be still playing and even kind of inventing new strategies for with this kind of evergreen gameplay, um, you know, decades into the future. So to see that happen with that game, with Halo Wars, um, it's pretty incredible. And, and there were, you know, some, I, I guess it's not so much a secret now. There were some amazing other projects worked on there that, that didn't see the light of day, but uh, we worked on a Halo MMO. Um, I guess those rumors have been confirmed at this point, or at least there's enough of them out there. Mm -hmm. Uh that did that for several years. That was a really amazing project that unfortunately we didn't get to finish. But um yeah, so it was about 12 years there for me. Um and we grew that studio about 120 people. We sold it to Microsoft about halfway through it. So I was, you know, I was a Microsoft employee there for many years. Um and actually the initial work that we did on Age of Empires um to create the online portion of it, which was kind of my focus, which was called originally Ensemble Studios Online actually formed the basis for xbox live Uh, really i think there's still some of my code technically at the roots of xbox live somewhere frighteningly enough
1: that's that's (laughs) really cool and and the idea of the halo mmo and then halo wars age of like you have a hand in in legacy type games i suppose i mean i play i'm still playing i think halo wars is my most played franchise on my (laughs) my gamer profile. Uh, and building those evergreen titles, do you look back fondly at those memories now, uh, now that you're in a new role as a CEO? Do you look back at, the, at your time at Ensemble, working on those major franchises then? So much
0: so. I mean, you know, as I mentioned, um, I just feel really blessed that I had the opportunity to work with a set of people that, that kind of uh, taught me the right things, I think, about, about running a game studio, about collaborating with creative folks. Um, you know, it was such a family and ensemble, and we cared as much about how we made games as what we were making and how we treated each other. And, you know, it's just, um, it's kind of one of those pair uh, pinnacle game studios, I think, in terms of um, the kind of the relationship we have with each other's developers, the relationship we have with our community, the kind of games we were, we were trying to create, you know, um, not necessarily creating, you know, violent games or games that were targeting a specific demographic. We really, we really kind of We're in love with this idea of making games that that everyone could play and you know even seeing going back to age of empires you can see this uh at the very beginning with with the with our focus on you know instead of making a game that was based in fantasy or science fiction or something we chose to make it historical because we thought maybe we could reach outside a little bit outside of this demographic this core demographic of gamers and perhaps invite a new audience in to play games and so like once that game came out and, and now you know many years since we have heard endless stories from people who say you know i never played video games but something about age vampires caught my eye it was historical it was bright and colorful you know video games didn't necessarily look or feel like that back then and and that was the first video game i ever played and it kind of sp- sparked my love for video games the same thing happened with halo wars because our whole mission there was to try to take this you know fairly sophisticated genre of real-time strategy games. And bring it to console in a way that was successful on a controller that didn't require a mouse and keyboard. And at that time, like, it's not controversial now, but but back then, that was kind of this crazy idea. You know, people like, there's no way you could want to play an RTS with a controller. That's crazy. That's that's not a good idea. And we slaved endlessly to try to get that to work and finally kind of figured out a control scheme and, and you know, a, a gameplay that made it so that you could be... As competitive and have as much fun playing that way as you could on a mouse and keyboard. Uh, And again, our idea was to try to bring this genre to people who hadn't necessarily ever seen an RTS or played an RTS. um, Because we were just kind of endlessly infatuated with this idea of trying to expand the audience and bring games to new people. And there's a lot of game companies that do this. You know, probably my favorite company of, of that form is Nintendo. They're always taking risks and trying to find and like, you know, Nintendo would say, our audience, our, our most important audience are the people who are not playing our games right now yet for some reason. And they're always Mm -hmm. trying to bridge that gap. And we were kind of, uh, kind of obsessed with that same idea. And that, that really, you know, if I look back on my career, that has inspired everything that I've worked on like that, that is the most, um, important thing to me now and has been since then. And I really credit that to the folks that I worked with there, uh, Tony, uh, and, and harder and Ian, and these wonderful designers and, and developers, who were all on that same mission, um, and you know a lot of these companies that have come out of Ensemble since it was closed um, have kind of tried to continue that work, and we have been as well.
1: That's that's wonderful. It's, it's just brilliant to see to see, I suppose, the threads and the DNA of games existing throughout the course of uh, of you know the gamerverse and ending up where you guys are now is. It's just fascinating to watch. Now, do you ever, now that they're back on definitive editions and whatnot, have you booted any of them up and gone back and tried some of your old strategies? <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs> so yeah, like my favorite game to go back and play is Age of Empires 2. Of all the games we made, that's the one that I just I just find so endlessly fascinating with, with the strategic options in the game. Um, and I'll tell you this really funny story real quick. The first time that I went to Ensemble to interview, I had played a bunch of Age of Empires at home with my friends. Uh, before that, so and I thought I was pretty good. You know, I was like, okay, I'm sure they're probably going to want to play with me. So when I'm there, they're in the interview. So I'm going to get ready. So I, you know, I played a bunch. So I show up for the interview, and I'm like, okay, and they, we're, they're like, hey, let's going to do a play test, uh, and we're going to have some fun with you, play some games at night. Sat down, started the game up. I think it was like a four player game, and I'm like building up my town, and I'm getting ready. And I've got like, oh, I've got these farms going. I'm like, oh man, when I get to start building military production here, this I'm I'm doing good this game. And suddenly, this army, like just unbelievable size army, comes rolling into my town. Ta- I didn't even have like a barracks up yet. I mean, I it was just and just demolished mm-hmm. me. And I thought for sure that they were cheating. Like I was like, okay, haha, that's really funny. You guys must have some kind of cheat. And no, they were just like on this totally different level that I didn't even know existed. And, you know, once I had been working there for a while, of course, I got up to speed and I realized that that's not cheating. It's just, you know, how you play if you're kind of getting it to that point? Well, some of my recent games of playing online again have felt exactly like that moment. Like, you know, strategies and the, the, the ways to play have been so perfected now over the years that and uh, I've just kind of fallen behind. Um, but I still find it a really fun game, especially to play, you know, kind of on a smaller scale with my with my family, with my kids Um, and, you know, I don't think that game will ever get boring for me, especially because of the random maps and everything else. It's just, uh, you know, it just has this, this endless fascination.
1: You have spoken to my soul in, in the funniest of ways because uh, you <laughs> but, talked about your code being. By the way, I've, being... never, I've
0: never been that good at any of my own games, so that's just the problem that I have. But sorry, but, go ahead.
1: That is that no, that's fine. It's just it's funny you're talking about your code being in an Xbox Live, and I can tell you that on my experiences with Xbox Live, many a time have I booted up Halo Wars for multiplayer and been like, "Those guys are cheating. No way, they're hacking. Yeah, no, way. that's exactly. not a thing. No way." And, and then you get save... on YouTube
0: and you're like, "Oh yeah, actually." Oh.
1: Hmm. <laughs> Yeah. Yep. Uh, so you you go from from working at Ensemble, you end up with a small little title called Words with Friends uh, that takes you on your way to, to becoming CEO here. Do you have any uh, any memories about maybe Words with Friends? That's a, small little, <laughs> just a little nugget well, of the game.
0: That was the craziest. Uh, that was the craziest journey I've yet been on in my game development career. Um, you know, again, came out of Ensemble with that 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 burning desire to find ways to 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 keep doing what we're doing to reach. More people that were playing games and and find new ways to to connect with with people who weren't playing games and see if, if they could become gamers. Um, you know, at the time that I that I left, and you know, several of the ensemble folks did eventually end up joining me. But at the time, they I think that people thought I was having some kind of midlife crisis or something because you know, my I was so excited about this idea of making games for iPhones, and like now that seems completely obvious. But at the time. That was like, I mean, the iPhone had just come out. Most of us had, like, flip phones, and we were just used to that and these really awful games like, you know, bowling or snake or solitaire or something. So the idea that anybody would want to play a game on a phone, like, just didn't make sense to people. Um, and I honestly, I didn't miss, like, have a business, like, this brilliant business plan in mind or, or know how that was going to work. I, I just, uh, I just, what I saw was when I saw the iPhone, and I, I saw a game device that these people in my life that had never played games uh, were going to probably have and might try a game on. You know, I, I basically saw, like, a Game Boy for my wife, you know, or my sister, who are, who are two right. people in my life are not huge gamers. And, and so I was like, I just, I got to try to make games for this because I think that it, it's a place where those those kind of barriers that keep those people from playing games, like, you know, for me, if you put an Xbox controller in my hand, I know what to do with it. I don't, it doesn't, it's not a barrier. It's actually an enabler, but mm-hmm. for my sister, it, you know, who didn't grow up playing games like it, you know, it just has like 15 buttons on it. She's not sure, you know? So anyway, when I saw the, the iPhone, I just saw that opportunity. So we left, we started that company and started working on games. And actually the first game we did on that platform was, we didn't release it, but it was a prototype of like a strategy game, mm-hmm. you know? So we thought oh, it'd be really cool. If you could tap on the units, move around the screen and, you know, of course, nowadays with games like Clash of Clans, Clash Royale, like it's it's a proven thing that that works really well.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: but at the time, we actually abandoned that concept because I felt like if we're really trying to do what we set out to do here, which is reach this new category of people that aren't don't call themselves gamers, we kind of need to to rethink how we approach this. And we so we got super casual and we started prototyping, you know, these these kind of board game uh, approaches. And stumbled on this idea of playing asynchronously or what was called correspondence back then (laughs) of like, you know, I make a move, I send it to my friend, they make a move, they send it back to me. Uh, And we thought that that was such a perfect fit for the phone because it's kind of like how other activities on the phone work, like text messaging or email, you know, you just send like this little package of information to a friend then they reply and send it back. And we're like, okay, you know, that meets gaming equals like this, this kind of, this, this type of play. And the first game we released was Chess with Friends. Um, it actually grew to the most popular chess game on the phone. And then we released Words of Friends. And that, I've just never been a part of something like that. You know, Age of Empires has, I don't know, at this point, 30, 40 million players. Words of Friends okay. has, like, I think half a billion at this point. <laughs> so that Goodness was gracious. the craziest ride. You know, we went from, like, zero players to 12 million people playing every day over the span of, like, a year and a half. And I can't remember much of that time because all I was doing was just trying to keep the servers running and keep the game from exploding um mm-hmm. and you know just working around the clock to make that happen um and we all were and and we got through it and uh and that game went on to be a phenomenon it's the first game ever where um like I would wear the t-shirt for the game and I would be mm-hmm. walking down the street and people would constantly like be like where'd you get that t-shirt and then I I'm not the kind of person who usually says, "Oh, I made that game." But if I'm there with like a friend, they'll always, or my wife will be like, "He made that," and, <laughs> and then and then people <laughs> would speak out, and and it was just this weird like pop culture thing that happened, and we, there was even a Super Bowl commercial that we ended up being in that, this one year. And I mean, you know, again, I've never experienced something like that in gaming, but it, it's been it's been the most amazing thing to be a part of this 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 kind of transformation in our industry from people who kind of choose gaming as a hobby and call themselves gamers to the fact that like, basically everyone is a gamer now, even though a lot of people don't call themselves that, you know, like my mom will play three hours of words of friends a day, but she still thinks gamer is a four letter word. When I call her that, she hates
1: mm-hmm. it. But, yeah. uh, and even games like animal crossing now are doing the same thing or yeah. people that are just yeah, ju- and, jumping in.
0: And I, I just think that, um, we, we finally and I knew it was going to happen i just i'm so I'm so glad to see it happen during my career that games have have graduated from from a hobbyist activity to really just a, a global uh, new form of entertainment that everybody enjoys and that is so great because it means that that we can make games for everyone we don't have to like make games only for a specific type of audience anymore
1: mm-hmm well, you know, amidst working on games that are so hardcore and focused to strategies and major franchises like Age of Empires and Halo Wars, and then you go to something far more casual and approachable with Words with Friends, uh, and then somewhere along the way, you arrive with Lucky, who is an adorable <laughs> character, uh, seemingly very approachable, and launches on the Oculus uh, platform exclusively at one point. So, tell me, tell me about kind of the origin of Lucky, because that is. That is a very casual character compared to very serious yeah. ones that you might have worked with, but also on a very, a very niche platform at one point. So tell me about Lucky.
0: So Lucky uh, started life, began his life as a prototype on the Oculus Rift. Um, we actually started working with Oculus before anybody, I think even knew about them. They would, they just started their Kickstarter and I had just come out of the company that we sold Words of Friends to um, and, and, was kind of just thinking about what i wanted to do next and and just looking around at lots of different opportunities um a friend of mine here in dallas john carmack helped put me in contact with these guys who were doing this cool thing in california with virtual reality and you know at that point it was one of a lot of different ideas i was looking into and just trying to figure out what's the latest newest coolest stuff happening in in the games industry and and where maybe the next wave of
1: growth will come from you're mentioning John and, Carmack from from ID, who was so uh, yeah. so big in okay, uh, Okay, gotcha. And, and he did move on and
0: CEO. You know, yeah, he's right. CEO of Oculus. Yeah. At that time, he was just some guy who had heard of this other guy in California who was putting VR headsets together. Like it was, uh, it was just something he was interested in too. And so he had written some something, and I kind of knew he was into it. So I sent him an email. He put me in contact with the founders of Oculus, and I flew out there with some friends um, to visit them. And I, I got a chance to see that very first Oculus Rift headset, like the one that was the, the, where they just had these prototypes. It wasn't a real headset. It was just a, you know, duct tape and stuff. And, uh, and I put it on and I had been, you know, interested in virtual reality as a nerd forever. Um, and have tried a lot of different things over the years, going back even to the eighties. And when I saw this thing, I I just realized, okay, this finally works. Like, this is a lightweight device that can be manufactured for uh, you know, a couple hundred bucks. And it actually has the effect of transporting you into another world. Like When I first took that headset off, that duct tape headset, I was disoriented, which is what happens with most people when they try VR now for the first time. They, there's like at least like a five second kind of moment when you take off the headset for the first time where you're like, wait, wait a minute, where was I? Like, oh yeah, I'm in this building or I'm in this house or wherever. <laughs> and like, it takes a second to reorient. And when that happened, I realized like, okay, this is here. Like this works. This is going to be able to create some incredible experiences. Uh, So we started talking to them and ended up uh, working with them um, kind of on just a contract basis initially that we just pitched them this idea that like, look, um, we have kind of made at this point a career of jumping to new platforms where, 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 People are making new types of experiences for the first time. You know, we had just come off boards of friends. And so we would really love to do that again. We'd love to to get some early prototypes of your hardware and just start making things and seeing what works. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they kind of thought that was a neat idea, too. And we started working together. We built dozens of different prototypes. I mean, we built strategy games. We built arcade games. We built a ton of different things. What's interesting is some of those ideas, like we built a music game, actually look like some of the ideas that are that that grew into popularity as well, like Beat Saber and Super Hot and these other games.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and one of the ideas that we built, uh, because at that point, Oculus came to us and said, well, we're going to ship with an Xbox controller. And we mm-hmm. said, OK, um, if you put a controller in my hand, uh, a typical, you know, a, a traditional Xbox controller, the first thing that I usually think of is a platformer. Because for mm-hmm. me having grown up on on games like that, I f- I find it's the most like approachable uh, and enjoyable game to play with that type of interface. Uh, so we're like well let's build some example I mean this is a crazy idea but let's try to build a third person VR game like no I've never seen one of those
2: mm-hmm. and we
0: built this prototype of a very simple like basically Mario clone that was called capsule brothers and the first time that I got a chance to see that prototype and I'm looking down at the character and suddenly I just looked to the right, like 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 you know, like what you can do in VR, right? You just look over and I could see the whole rest of this level laid out in front of me, like this journey I could take. And it was not an experience I had ever had or seen in a platforming game. Like it was just this incredible thing feeling like I was inside the level with the character. So we fell in love with that.
1: What, what year is this at, at this point in development?
0: Oh my gosh, let me think. <laughs> like 2012, if... 13, something like that. Okay, wow, yeah. that
1: is early. Because I'm thinking about, like, as you described this in my mind, I'm like, oh, that sounds like what people say about Astrobot uh, or, or something yeah, like yeah, that. No.
0: Okay, so there's a whole story there because Astrobot uh, was made by the Sony studios. Um, and and the Sony Sony guys came to visit us and saw a very early prototype of Lucky Tale and fell in love with it. So I'm sure there was some inspiration there from the work that we were doing that led to Astrobot as well. Because that was before the PSVR had shipped, but we, you know, we knew they were working on a VR device, too, and we got a chance to show it to them. And Astrobot's AstroBot's a phenomenal game as well. So, yeah, there have been a bunch of, or, well, not a bunch, but a handful of other third-person VR games now that have come out since then. And I, you know, so we continued on that. We convinced Oculus that that's a game that should be one of their launch titles, especially because it was a great way for people, I think, to kind of be introduced to VR for the first time, is to play mm-hmm. something that was more familiar but in a new way. Mm-hmm. Um, and oculus loved that idea uh, they ended up putting the game on the box funding the game but it's a playful owned ip and that was really important to us from the beginning because you know really part of the vision of our company that is that we want to build characters and stories and worlds that we own that we can kind of shepherd for many many years to come because
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know the, these games and these these characters and these worlds that i've grown up with whether it's pokemon or mario or zelda or, you know any number of, of franchise age vampires These are, these are games that have lasted for decades and, and I've grown up with them and Mm -hmm. I love, I love that. And I want to build games like that. Uh, so, so that's the journey that we went on with lucky. We built that game. We shipped it for the Oculus called lucky's tale, just called lucky's tale at the time. Um, Mm -hmm. that game can still be, uh, acquired on Oculus, I believe. Um, and it's one of the most highly reviewed, uh, highly downloaded games on that platform. Mm -hmm. Um, and it led to what we're working on today.
1: And okay, well, and there are steps in between. You yes. released because so, right, so this is the coolest thing about Lucky for me is that when I follow his uh, evolution, I think is the right word because I I was introduced to Super Lucky's tale. Uh, at the Xbox One X launch, which I'm I yes. very curious about your perceptions of that launch, because Super Lucky's Tale, a 3D platformer, not VR-based. It's a console exclusive. Uh, that was in 2017. Of course, you arrived on Switch in 2019 with, with a host of different features. But in that 2017 window, arriving on, on Xbox One X at launch, kind of around Mario Odyssey's time, tell me about, about that experience and the goods, the bads. How did that play out? So... Uh, you
0: know, both ways. I think is the goods and the bads. The, the good was, um, you know, our initial idea, working with Microsoft was that their audience, the audience on 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 the Xbox would would be really interested in a new mascot platforming character um, mm-hmm. and a high quality platforming game on the platform. You know, we felt like there was there was an appetite for families who had Xboxes to, to have more games that they could play together. You know, that that's the experience that I have. Um, mm-hmm. Even with a Switch, we kind of run through all the games and, and we go back and end up playing games over again because there's just not as much high quality entertainment that we, that we together want to play as a family or can play as a family. So, so our hypothesis was um, this game will be embraced by Xbox gamers. The good mm-hmm. news is that is what happened, and, uh, and the game sold really well. We released it on, on Game Pass, uh, and it has been extremely well received through, through that. And, you know, Game Pass kind of launched at the same time, so it was a little bit of a test for both us and them. And mm-hmm. that worked really well. Um, but to be honest, and, you know, I, I think we've kind of, uh, I'm not shy to say it, we didn't have the time that we wanted to get that game right. When we mm-hmm. finally agreed to do that game with Microsoft, they we were all on this rushed schedule because the Xbox One X already had a launch date.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: so, you know, we kind of tried to develop something that was equivalent to the scale and quality of a Mario game in a fraction of the time. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. uh, and the end result was a game that I'm still proud of, but that's that we all fell, f- felt um, didn't have the things that we had wished to be able to get into the game. Things like, for instance it's a 3D platformer and the original version of Lucky's Tale didn't even have a camera, like I'm talking about the version on VR, didn't mm-hmm. really have any camera code because your camera was, the, was your head, right? right? So we didn't have to worry about like how the camera moved in space or, or kind of fluidly moving it around, avoiding objects and stuff, because you, just all we had to do is parent the camera to your head and wherever your head was, that was where the camera was. Well, that code ended up in Super Lucky's Tale Mm-hmm. But, of course, we had to make it work without a VR headset, and we never got to take that uh, kind of to the, to the extent that you would want it in a full-scale 3D platforming game, which is a full 360 camera with freedom, with good you know, prediction and, and, and object avoidance. Also, there's stuff that you kind of expect in a modern platforming game. We didn't get a chance to do that for the camera in Super Lucky's Tale, um, and, and we, we kind of ended up with a more simplistic, almost VR-like camera in that game. Um, mm-hmm. By the time we shipped, and I'm very, re- I'm very proud of the fact that we did hit the launch date, and we provided, I think, one of the few. I mean, I, there was maybe one or two other Xbox One X games that launched with the console, and we were one of those. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that helped uh, get the game in the players' hands, and the, you know, the player scores for the game were still, you know, despite the fact that we weren't able to get everything done that we wanted to. You know, it's it's like a ninety percent reviewed game from from the players' perspective. Critics Mm -hmm. were more harsh on it (laughs) Uh, Mm -hmm. because, you know, to your point, it launched alongside Mario, uh, and, and they had a lot more time and money and we had done our best with what we had. (laughs) And, um, and especially not, you know, being a studio that had never shipped a platformer before, Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, that was so that was that release.
1: Well, and uh, okay, so this is so this is wild to me because the whole pitch on the Xbox One X at the time was the world's most powerful. And then we have this <laughs> adorable, super cute I 3D know. platformer filling that void. And I can tell you anecdotally and uh just just based on my own research, it's very clear that people like this. And I too enjoy the it's approachable, it's easy to play. Well, some of them are yeah. easy. Some of those DLC Paul, let me tell you. Some yes, of those it. challenges got me a little bit. <laughs> well, uh, because
0: but, that's because we had a lot of people talking about how easy it is, and we're like, okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> let's see how you take this DLC.
1: <laughs> oh, you gave me a run for my money, don't you worry. But <laughs> but there was a lot of places uh, that that I think super lucky fit, but maybe didn't fit in the time frame or the marketing idea. But I'm I'm glad to hear you say that it, it sold well. That had to on some level boost boost morale. And then you enter into Game Pass. Is that experience easy, difficult? Like to going uh, into Game well, Pass?
0: You know, being being new on a new platform is never easy. There's always like uh, you know, it's it's kind of bleeding edge. It's called that for a reason. So mm-hmm. there was a lot of stuff that we had to figure out and kind of work with alongside Microsoft. But you know, these days, Microsoft is there's there's this huge company and they're so good at supporting developers. So they, you know, they handled most of the hard stuff and we didn't have to do too much to get the game ready for Game Pass. But we all just were kind of holding our breath because we didn't know what the numbers would look like. Like, okay, if, if this is a game that's free alongside a bunch of other free games, how many players are going to give this game a shot or want to play it or download it or what is, how are they going to review it if they haven't even paid for it? Um, and actually, like I said, it's been the most wonderful reception so far Is has been what we got on Game Pass. You know, players just found it to be exactly what we would hoped, which was, here's this delightful game that is unlike most things that I can find on the Xbox. And, and I love it. And, you know, the reception has just been universally positive, you know, and I I see this thing, it's not, I I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not generally the person who wants to praise our own work. I'd rather just hear what our players think. Mm -hmm. And, and so it's been really wonderful to, to have this, have people talking about, about how, You know, basically, you shouldn't sleep on Lucky's (laughs) Tales. This phrase I hear a lot. And, uh, you know, because the marketing budget was very small. We're a small independent studio. We didn't have a lot of money to be able to get this large marketing budget and tell Mm -hmm. people about the game. So it's been mostly organic, word of mouth. And anytime there are threads on Reddit or wherever else talking about the game, you'll always find these players show up saying, you know, this game is actually really good. Uh, and you should try it. Like, like not not en- not enough people have heard about it, and mm-hmm. and that kind of is the narrative. And that that's that's several years ago. It's it's definitely changed now. Like, there's a lot more people that have heard about the game, and and you know, kind of get into the to what's happening now with the release on on Xbox of New Super Lucky Sale. The mm-hmm. response is is the biggest we've ever seen. You know, just measured in terms of engagement and people like <laughs> retweeting and getting excited about the fact that we we announced the news that it's coming.
1: Well, that is the genesis of this interview, I will tell you that for sure. Now, (laughs) I was excited when I saw new Super Lucky's Tale would be arriving to Switch, and this was in 2019, and you already kind of touched on the idea that you guys – you were rushed and you wanted to work on the camera and and clean up some stuff because you were taking – Essentially, a VR title, making it a console game, improving upon that, and then you want to, it seems you wanted to improve upon it again. But this is new Super Lucky's Tale. Why not make a sequel? Why why go back to that well? What's what's the mentality in, in bringing it to Switch as well? There's so much to unpack there.
0: Well, so it's really interesting what happened coming out of Super Lucky's Tale because we were we were proud to have made that date and to have been able to actually launch on on the day of the Xbox One X launch, mm-hmm. but. After that, you would think that the team would have said, you know, okay, let's work on a sequel or, or we're kind of tired of that. Let's work on a different game or whatever. But this really weird thing happened where the team just kept working on it. Like they didn't stop working on the game. And I, you know, I, we were talking at the time about, okay, maybe this is going to turn into a sequel. You know, we're not sure, but, but like the team just kept going and doing the things that they wished they could have done for the release of Super Lucky's Tale. And we just kind of let that happen for a while. We were also in the state of, of, okay, you know, we're not sure what our next game is going to be. We're talking to Microsoft. We're talking to other folks. We're pitching different ideas. And at the same time as we were doing that, a portion of the team who had just finished Super Lucky Stale just kind of kept going. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, so here we are now, several months after the launch of Super Lucky Stale, and we're looking at this work that's been happening, and we're like, well, what is this? Like, it could be a new game, but look at how much better... This experience is, as we expected, when we do these, just this handful of things, when we basically have this several months of additional polish on top of this title, what if we kept going with this? And so, the, you know, the first, the way that we try to answer that question is, well, is there anyone who can help us bring this to life? Because, you know, again, we're a small independent studio. We don't have a ton of money to, to, to really do this well and to, to launch it as whatever this might be, a remaster or something, like we weren't sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, we would want to have a partner that would want to do that, that'd be excited to do that. So. We went and talked to a bunch of folks, um, and, you know, we had just finished it with Microsoft, so it's not like they were like, yeah, let's just go do it again. You know, they were like, well, wh- why don't we talk about a sequel or whatever else when the time comes? And through those handful of discussions, we ended up talking to Nintendo about it. Mm-hmm. And they were like, well, this is really interesting. We haven't heard about this game directly, but then they did some internal research. Their group went and played it, and and they saw promise in it. So then they wanted to see the prototype that we had built of what it could have been with more time and more polish.
2: Mm-hmm. We flew
0: out, uh, they came to visit our studio. They saw that prototype and they fell in love with it. And we're like, you know, this is, this is surprising. We don't see quality of this level put into a platforming game outside of Nintendo, you know, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there's a handful of other studios through, through the, through the years that are, that do that, but it, it's, it's few and far between, right. The studios that focus on building high quality platformers. I mean, it's, it's been growing over the last couple of years, which is amazing. There's kind of this resurgence in that genre. Mm
2: -hmm. Um,
0: But at the time we were having that conversation, you know, it was still a pretty rare thing. And so we, through that conversation uh, kind of, you know, it's been, it's been our, uh, one of, one of my passions in life to have to work with Nintendo. It's something I've never been able to do in my career yet. Um, Just, you know, uh, because that opportunity hadn't ever occurred. Mm -hmm. And so when, we started talking about that. I fell in love with that idea. They fell in love with us and the game, and we that turned into okay. We're gonna re-release this game. We're gonna bring it to the Switch. That, to be honest, that started off as a fairly small uh, scope thing, but mm-hmm. we we just kind of kept going. And, and because we were self-developing the game, and and uh, you know, Nintendo was our publisher, but we were really putting a lot of our own time and energy into it.
2: Mm-hmm. We were
0: kind of on our own timeline. And, and so we were just, you know, the whole team felt so passionate and so did I about actually making the game that we had really hoped it could be in the first place. Mm -hmm. And by the time that we saw what that was becoming, it actually became this complicated question of what to call it. You know, you were saying like, should it be a sequel or not? We knew that it had too much in common with the original game to call it a sequel. Like we felt like that would be disingenuous to our players, Mm -hmm. but also that it, it wouldn't be fair to just call it a port because it was way more than that at this point like you know and what new super lucky still ended up being and launching on switch is even for the folks who have spent money you know because you you could imagine that some of the people who had bought it on the xbox maybe buy it on the switch and would come back and say gosh you know i don't feel good about the fact that i had to buy this game twice or whatever but mm-hmm. actually the response is opposite and now you can see a lot of people talking about the release on the coming up on the Xbox and, and defending it. And like people are saying, oh, do I have to buy this game again if I already bought on the Xbox? And then people will swoop in on that thread and say, no, no, dude, you don't understand. They basically remade the game. <laughs> and, and that is what we did. There is not a single level in the game that hasn't been overhauled. All the graphics have been overhauled. The controls are completely redone. The camera is all new. Like there's just so much, it, you know, it's almost like the game that was inspired by Lucky's Tale, but or by Super Lucky's Tale, but is a new thing. Now, um, I, I think players will get to see that when they play it.
1: Is it is it a difficult thing to navigate the messaging there? Because I feel like so it's much tough. of our <laughs> recent, yeah, yeah, it, that's got to be tough. Because as you, all those things seem to go in there, you know, I've I bought it once, played it here. It's but now it's totally different. Is it? How did you guys decide? I suppose in the end, with with kind of the, I guess, I guess the boring stuff, like like logistics, title, price, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. You, yeah. yeah, yeah. How, how did you guys go about
0: that? So it, it was it was really, really hard. and honestly, there was a bunch of debate internal to the studio about what to call it. A lot of it came down to that. And so at one point, uh, we were calling it super duper lucky Tale. That was the best we could come up with. And actually, I thought it was a really funny cute name that you know people would find silly. But the problem that, that everybody had internal to the studio is they felt like, that sounds a little too much like the sequel. Like we're really worried that somebody's going to see that and then they're going to buy it. And then they're going to feel like they got ripped off because it's, you know, too similar to the game they already played. And so we were really struggling internally with not wanting to do anything that might feel like we were misleading our players, you know, because mm-hmm. we just love them so much. And we, <laughs> that's, that's just a huge part of who we are is that relationship with our, with our customers, with our community. And, but that's the name we held on to it for a while and it was OK, but it had that problem as we were testing it with folks that they would say, well, I don't know what that is. That sounds like it could be a sequel. Is it a sequel or what is it? And we're like, All right, I guess that's the best we can do. And then we were having a meeting with some of our folks, the designers on the team and some folks from outside and from folks from Nintendo. And that name, this was actually it came from uh, somebody who worked with Nintendo for a while, but wasn't at Nintendo at the time said, well, what do you, I mean, what do you guys think about the, the games like New Super Mario and those games that are called New Something? Mm-hmm. And as soon as she said it, like instantly around the room, it was just like, oh yeah, that's it, that's the answer. <laughs> and, and again, it's not like we, were, we actually knew because we, you know in those kind of meetings, you, you don't know whether you're just drinking your own Kool-Aid. Mm-hmm. Um, but we started to test that name out. And, uh, and now of course, like, I know with hindsight, looking back on the launch, it did exactly what we were hoping it could do. And almost it did the impossible. It cut through that messaging in a way that most people go into that conversation saying, well, I'm not exactly sure what this is when I hear new super lucky sale, but I know number one, it doesn't sound like a sequel. Number two, it sounds like a remaster or something like that. So now I want to find out more about it. And then they go do the research, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, which, and that's the best that I was hoping for is that it would be enough to entice someone to go find out more and not have them feel misleaded. And and the name did so much of that work, at least on the on the Switch, you know. And I and now we'll have to see, as it becomes wi- more widely known uh, that the game's coming to Xbox and PlayStation, whether the same thing happens there. But I've already seen this kind of tailwind of, you know, now there's so many fans from the Switch version
2: mm-hmm. uh,
0: that they're surprisingly also just saying, well, I'm, I can't wait to buy this also on my PlayStation or on my Xbox. And and they're they're kind of helping inform people about what it is when they ask those questions. So now it's kind of basically taken on a life of its own, um, which is what I was most hoping would happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, with
1: so when you decide what made you guys decide to bring it to, to consoles back to Xbox, now to PlayStation Four, uh, after success I would argue successfully landing on Xbox and then going on to Switch. What made you decide to return to to that space once again? So
0: it is honestly, uh, and I guess this is the first time that we've said anything about this, but it is, it is honestly what our hope was from the very beginning. Um, our our vision at Playful is to create games for everyone and to bring those games to as many people as possible. So um, getting our games onto as many platforms where people can enjoy them is a huge part of what our ambition is. And. Uh, you know, we we did this amazing launch with Nintendo on the Switch and agreed to this exclusivity of the game on that platform, which has been fantastic for those players. But our hope was always to bring it to these other platforms um, and to get it into as many gamers' hands as we could and to, to have them be able to meet and hopefully fall in love with Lucky. So it was the plan initially, um, but again, coming out of the launch of the Switch, we weren't sure, you know, if that was going to be something we could do. Thankfully, uh, due to the success of the game on that platform and now the... The fact that there are there are actually millions of lucky players already. If you look across all the people that played it on Oculus, all the people that played Super Lucky's Tale on Xbox, and now the people on Switch, it's you know it's a multi-million person audience. Mm-hmm. That was plenty of reason to justify uh, us putting in the, the effort to bring the game to the Xbox and PlayStation. And we are working really hard um, to get to you know to kind of meet people's expectations for this game coming to those platforms
2: mm-hmm. you know the
0: platforms um like the xbox one x are known for their ability to run at high frame rates with with high resolution and you know we don't want to dis- disappoint anybody there so <laughs> we're not right. exactly yet except that that that's where all our work has gone into is again it's not just a port for a port's sake like we want to make it a really the best version that it could be on the on the platforms that it's coming to
1: so, you mentioned this idea of wanting to get lucky to as many players as possible. And th- the word of the, the generation seems to be for, for the PlayStation and Xbox fans of late is exclusive, exclusive, exclusive. Yeah. You guys were a launch exclusive at one point, and then you knew Super Lucky's Tales exclusive over on Switch. And uh, I would have to imagine at some point. Someone somewhere, or you—I know—I'm sure you, you read the Twitters and whatnots on the internets. Did was there ever talk of of being exclusive to a platform? You know, Sony or, or Microsoft approaching you guys to be their mascot platformer in a day where Spyro and Crash are everywhere, but Mario is exclusive. Was there ever a conversation there?
0: Uh, it's always a conversation that happens, um, and it's a delicate thing. You know, I—I um, I think if we were working on a game that felt like it truly leveraged. The something unique that a certain platform was bringing, then, then that would be something that we'd be passionate about. And so, you know, I mean, because again, you look at something like Words of Friends or the examples I was using with Nintendo earlier, and my, some of my favorite games are the ones that can only exist on that platform. Like, you know, going back to like the 3DS or, or sorry, the Nintendo DS, you have something like Dogs, which is like, that's just not a game that could ever be ported because mm-hmm. it's the stylus and has all these other crazy features. I love working on games like that. But as it turns out, what happened with Lucky is Lucky is not a game that leverages a particular set of features on a unique platform. It's actually something that works fantastically well, even on in VR and flat screen as this kind of, you know, broadly appealing title. So it's not the kind of game that I, I think, uh, you know, makes for a great platform exclusive. You know, that the reality is, um, at least from my perspective as a game developer, mm-hmm. the the sort of console war narrative, I mean it's still, and by the way, I'm great friends with the guy who wrote console wars, so I'm very, very familiar with, with the whole thing going back in history. Harris, but, right? Yeah, right, yeah,
1: yeah. Yes,
0: okay. I'm like he wrote the he wrote the book about Oculus recently that, that I was in, so I got to become I'm, a good, a good I friend. I have
1: that him. in my queue to read, actually.
0: <laughs> it's a good book. Um so anyway, the there's this kind of like vestige of console war that still exists in the minds and in the hearts of gamers who grew up with that and and i think it's you know it's fun right it's like this rivalry thing um but reality is that there's still this interesting choice that exists between especially between like a nintendo console and a non-nintendo console but even between playstation and xbox but i think that it's a subset of gamers that get really into that that rivalry and that you know make make a lot of noise about it on the internet but i don't actually think that the majority of the audience kind of that much mm-hmm. you know and especially i look at like the younger audience and they just have whatever console they have you know whatever console their 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 parents bought for them and and i don't know that they they don't seem to me you know again i'm just anecdotally listening to that audience they don't seem to me to to actually care very much about the drama of that so-called console war they really just want their games to work on whatever device they have. Mm
2: -hmm. Uh,
0: And, you know, games like Fortnite have, have, I think, helped further that, and and Minecraft, uh, even before that, helped really further that kind of democratization uh, of experience across platforms. And I I kind of am more, let's just say, if I'm going, like I said before, if I'm going to build a game for a specific platform, then I want to really focus on something that platform does uniquely and differently.
2: Mm -hmm. But if I'm working
0: on a game like Lucky's Tale, I really would rather kind of let the platform take a backseat and really just make it about, I hope you can have this wonderful experience on whatever device you have and then get, get a chance to experience lucky. And you know, in your home, Mm
1: I don't know. That's
0: a little bit, I mean, especially, uh, you know, with, with the audience of folks, including myself, who love to be a part of that, you know, whether we're a PlayStation game or an Xbox game or a Nintendo game, like that's still really fun. And I love the differences between the consoles. And I, so I just want to be sure that people understand like in the future, um, you could very well see us, uh, see Playful work on a game that was console exclusive. But it's just that when we do that, our focus is going to be on something truly that that console can do that is unique compared to any of the other consoles, rather than, you know, in, a, in the case of a game like Lucky's Tale, it's really the the you know the experience that i want to have be the same across all the different consoles as absolutely
1: as, no i mean, all of that i mean it makes perfect sense and it's a uh, i think it's a holistic idea to just want players to play wherever whenever they are able to do it and i think even the first party developers and publishers are now starting to realize that things need not be console locked
0: yeah and, and you know i <laughs> Some of my favorite games of the last 20 years are the ones that were console exclusives, whether you're talking about a Halo, a Mario and Uncharted. Um, so there's this a- aspect of it for me as a gamer, where the thing that I get more attached to is the, the IP rather than the hardware, if that makes sense. Like sure. I love Halo as a Microsoft game. And that makes me a Microsoft gamer um, rather than loving the Xbox as the thing I, I you know, I love the combination of that and this unique IP that they brought to the world. So, you know, that's, that's another path that, that I do get really excited about, but, but usually those things happen from first party studios and, and us being an independent studio. Um, you know, I, I think that the best work that happens in that, in that regard comes out of those, those PlayStation studios, those Microsoft owned studios. And mm-hmm. I love seeing that both Microsoft and PlayStation seem to be recognizing that even more and really investing in the sort of, stable of first-party studios that they have um, Mm -hmm. there. And, you know, I'm seeing more growth in that than I've ever seen, you know, with the friends that I have at Microsoft. Um, Just more of an investment and a commitment to having these amazing internal high-quality first-party studios that are building games. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, I think that when gamers see the results of the the investment that's happening right now when those games start coming out in a couple years or even later this year, it's going to be like another wave of amazing first-party Games
1: that are coming, yeah, and and all eyes are <laughs> on that launch, I'm sure. And yes, uh, yeah. eyes of course on Playful in the next uh, in the, in the coming months. Uh, you yes. of course new so, Super Lucky's Tale. I think uh, you have a few other games that are in the works. Star Child, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah.
0: We've, got, we uh, talk we've about... had a handful. Well, so we have a tell handful. Tell me, tell me games. what you can
1: tell me. I don't want to put you on the spot. Tell me what <laughs> you can tell yeah, me.
0: No, what I can say is that um, that we have had a number of games in development for several years uh, that are kind of in various stages of unannounced or partially announced, like Starchild. Um, we are finally uh, getting to the point where, over the next you know twelve or eighteen months, we're going to be able to share with the world the things that we've been working on, and I, and I'm just I'm so excited about it. I mean it it's it's similarly revolutionary to things that we've worked on before, just in terms of like, not just building a delightful beloved character or wonderful IP, but also, you know, really at the heart of playful's mission as a, as a game studio is to bring together this beloved evergreen enduring gameplay and IP together with cutting edge technology. Like that's, you know, as I mentioned, when we went from like, doing an iPhone game to doing a virtual reality game. everybody's like, what the heck do those two things have in common? Like, why are you doing that? And I said, you know, from my perspective, there, it was actually very similar because making trying to figure out how to make a game for an iPhone when nobody had ever really made iPhone games before was very similar to trying to figure out how to make games for VR when nobody had ever really made VR games before. That's where we're most drawn to. And so the mm-hmm. things that we're working on now are really bringing together this thing that people have seen us do, which is, um, building this, this high quality family friendly, uh, delightful IP that hopefully you know kids grow up with and, and play and, and fall in love with and are looking for the next lucky game when they're when they're when they have kids in the future. <laughs> uh, to combine that with our fascination with working on games that are on the very cutting edge of technology on, with on new platforms that where the def, where the very definition of what a game is is changing and evolving now i'll give you one example of that which is what's happening with with game viewership and i know a lot of people are talking about this right now whether it's twitch or youtube or whatever and and it's so amazing what's happening there because so many people are are spending time spectating games as much as they are playing them Mm -hmm. but the but the thing that i'd want to say about that is what you haven't seen yet but you will see in the next couple years is developers starting to embrace that not just as like a funnel for people to watch their game and hopefully eventually install it and play it but mm-hmm. actually as an as a platform in and of itself. You know, I haven't heard I haven't heard a lot of people talking about it that way but but participating in a game as both a spectator and a competitor and connecting with, you know, with your favorite competitors or as a competitor connecting with your fans that effectively is a new platform. I, I don't mm-hmm. look at it as like this thing that's bolting on the games. I look at it as a brand new platform for how to develop games. And just like you see when any new platform comes out, you see the beginning, the first wave of games are like these um, these ports effectively, right? Like, you know, if you look mm-hmm. at Fortnite or Minecraft or these games that are popular on Twitch, they were popular before Twitch, right? So mm-hmm. they, they work really well on Twitch, but there's nothing inherently different about the game because it is being streamed on Twitch. But there's going to be a second and third wave of games that start coming out where the experience that you have when you're playing together with others in front of a live audience or you're watching somebody, you're, you know, a famous competitor play, fundamentally changes the experience and takes it to something else, something new. And I can't wait for that. So that's just one example. Right? And I, that's what I love about the games industry and about making games now that's going on 25 years is mm-hmm. that something like that happens every couple of years. And we have this opportunity to kind of reinvent medium and and i love that and that's that's what we're going to be doing (laughs) going into the future but uh but that's talking about what's coming you know down the road what i'm really excited about now is in just a short amount of time which we haven't announced a release date yet but when we do people will be happy it's not not long now
2: Mm -hmm. when
0: new super lucky's tale comes out on the xbox and to playstation gamers um i think that it's finally going to be what we had originally hoped that it was, mm-hmm. which is um, a ma- a new mascot character. You know, you you said it, I think, really well. A new mascot character that is really high quality that has that does have is what we really wanted to create in the beginning. Like something that that can hopefully stand amongst some of my favorite games, the great platformers that we've all grown up with. Um, and I I just can't wait for people to get their hands on that because I think people have, have sort of heard that if they if they're not a Switch player, they've heard that. Oh yeah, it seems like they made all these improvements and the word on the street is that this game was was a lot better on the Switch. And but I just can't wait for people to actually experience it themselves on their Xboxes. It's going to be
1: fantastic. And at, the, at at the risk of of guesstimating, because you're you're mentioning soon, you don't have dates, but I think people need some happy right now. A lot exactly. of our games, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, and, and I, I I, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry.
0: I, oh, I was I was going to say that's that's exactly how I feel about it. I, uh, I think that it's, you know, you, you mentioned animal crossing earlier and, you know, apparently the game has sold like 14 million copies or some ridiculous number already. And I think that speaks to the fact that people, uh, can really use something in their life right now that is just wholesome and happy and enjoyable and funny. And, uh, and I, I, that's, I guess one of the reasons I'm so excited about this upcoming release is there's there's still not a ton of that available on the Xbox or the PlayStation. And, and I think people are going to find exactly what they're looking for when they, when they play this game, when they play some new super lucky still.
1: That is a fantastic poll. Uh, Paul Bettner. I appreciate you joining me today uh, on the Xbox expansion pass, chatting, lucky chatting your career in games. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for having
0: me. It was, it was a real pleasure I can't wait to hear from uh, from your listeners what they think about the game, and uh, and I look forward to the next time I get a chance to talk to you.